1: Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog ArsCast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. The interlol is over, folks. That's it. Done and dusted. It is an ex interlol It is dead and buried. In fact, that's it for interlals until next season. Which I know is a bit like saying, see you next year to somebody on December 31st, but it is what it is. It's like a three-week injury now is like, blah, 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 is out for the season. Hopefully, we won't have any of those to report on in the next few weeks. But it's all going to start off again. And uh, we do have the weekend off, which is a bit frustrating when you haven't had a game in such a long time. And then you have to go through an entire weekend. And you get to play Monday night I don't like Monday Night Football at the best of times, but after this long of a break, it seems cruel and unusual punishment to make us wait. But uh, I don't suppose there's really anything we can do other than, you know, wait until Monday. So let's do that, will we? Let's just sit here and and wait until Monday. Kind of bored of waiting now. So maybe we'll talk about stuff. Okay, let's talk about stuff. We've got two guests on the show today. A little bit later on, we are going to look at Arsenal by the numbers, if you like, with Tim from 7am kickoff. Uh, We're going to take a statistical look at what's going on and what our chances of making the top four are like based on what we've been doing this season, away from home, at home, defensively, offensively. And Tim has got some very interesting numbers uh, to go through, so that's in a little while. However... We might as well just get straight on with the show, and I'm always delighted to welcome this particular gentleman back to the ArsCast. It's Philippe Clare. Good evening, Philippe. Good evening, Andrew. Um, we have had what appears to be the longest interlull of all time to contend with because we'd no football the weekend before. We've had no football last weekend. We're going to have no football this weekend because we're playing on Monday night against Newcastle. Thank you very much indeed. To Skies. Boo, I agree. We've got more Monday night football coming up in April as well. I think we play Leicester, maybe Watford on a Monday night too. So, this is a, they're really uh, fiddling with our schedule in this particular month. We were playing pretty well going into this international break.
2: You can say that, yes. Do you... Pretty damn well, actually. Pretty damn well. Pretty
1: damn well. Uh, do you have a little bit of fear that this might have interrupted our momentum? Or is it, considering the fact that we've got eight games in April, a good chance to have recharged our batteries a bit?
2: I I would rather use the second. Uh, I, I don't think it was. It will be so detrimental. Uh, I am more worried about the, the schedule itself, uh, about the games themselves, because I, I don't feel as confident as... Uh, quite a few of my friends are that this is actually a, a good uh, schedule for the the rest of the season. I'm I'm, I'm a little bit worried uh, it, of it, um, of our trips. It's the to away games. Places. I, I'm, I'm, Yes, I'm actually I'm very worried. <laughs> I'll be <laughs> absolutely frank. I'm very worried. Uh, not necessarily about the games at New Car- against Newcastle, uh, which will have, uh, as you kindly remembered me, uh, reminded me, uh, on Monday night, for goodness sake, I thought, wow, I, 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 my, I got my Arsenal back. But no, it's Monday, it's mm. not Sunday. It's oh, terrible. Well. But I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not too worried about the effect of the uh, international break, especially since um, if you look of the contenders for the top four, we're probably one of the clubs. Um, I don't think our players will be particularly um, exhausted after this. Mm. Um, you know, there's been apparently um, some um, rec- rest and recuperation uh, in warmer climes. Um <sighs> It's it's more. I, I don't know if you feel like me, but I'm 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 worried about this away form and the fact that yes, we've had some very decent performances of late, but they've been with the exception of the Tottenham game, of course. Uh, they've been at home. Yeah. And I'm seeing uh, a particularly difficult April where we are playing Everton away, Napoli at home, Watford away, and then Napoli uh, at San Paolo, and that is. You know, within... (laughs) within 11 days
1: yeah and we've also got Leicester away and Wolves away <laughs> to contend with as well so
2: yes there, there, there but are- I think that should be the, the judge of peace so to speak this, this is going to be the, um, the tricky period that we're going to have to uh, this 11 day period that we will have to, to deal with yeah and by the way thank you again the Premier League for making sure that we play on the Thursday okay against Napoli but to make sure that we play as late as possible on the Sunday before European game this is wonderful uh, thank you very much mm, yes thank you indeed uh, Premier yeah. League people the the crucial
1: period as you talk about those 11 days i mean i feel like over the course of this season i've sort of said this is a decisive moment for una emery
2: this is how a many per- times have you said that you i think? think
1: i've said it two or three times okay and each time we've kind of come through that period well you know i, I think most recently of the the two games against tottenham and manchester united where i feel like if if things hadn't gone as well as they had the mood around the club would be very very different right now not simply because it's it's difficult to see how we would finish in the top 4 but because the the improvements that we wanted to see uh, from this team just just weren't there particularly in those in those big games and i do have a little bit more confidence in in this, the team's ability to cope with this run of games than I did, let's say five weeks ago, uh, before the Tottenham game. Before I think the Tottenham game was encouraging, even if the result and the circumstances of the result were were disappointing. I feel like they can take some encouragement and they can take some some heart from that. And what I what I also think was encouraging to me anyway was the fact that Unai Emery. Has brought back Messrs. Ozil, brought back Aaron Ramsey, fitted them into his team, and rotated quite heavily in some of those games you know, because there were some uh, Europa League games in there as well where we played Rennes and, you know, one of the games against Rennes didn't go very well, but the, <laughs> yes. yeah, I mean, that, you know, that was the 10-men game where he got everything, everything wrong. Every decision he made that night was, was wrong, um, but ultimately it didn't, it didn't come back to, to haunt us uh, in the second leg. But, you know, he successfully rotated his team and they haven't looked as disjointed as you might expect when he's made five or six
2: changes. No, they they, they haven't. Um, I don't know if you would agree with me that one of the um, key performers during that period has been one Laurent Koscielny. I look. I just wrote
1: down Laurent Koscielny's name uh, here oh. as, as we started talking because I want to. I, I want to ask you about him uh, and what you make of the comeback. That he's I'm, had. Are you, are you surprised? Are you surprised? Are you more than surprised. Staggered? What word would you use?
2: Flabbergasted. Uh, not flabbergasted, but um, it's, it's it's far more than surprise. I don't think there are many examples of a player recovering at that age from as serious an injury as it was, which honestly for many players would be a career-ending injury. I and think being able hasn't, to play um, at this kind of level... And also, I mean, the because what one of the problems when you come back from an injury like this is that it's not so much the physical problem you can imagine that the Achilles has healed and so forth, that he's you know he's had all the medical care. It's how then you approach the games mentally and how much of yourself you put into it. And in fact we've got the Laurent Cossignan, which reminds me of the Laurent Cossignan of his best seasons, which yeah. is saying something in terms of the impact in terms of how he, he he goes into challenges in terms of his speed over the first few meters and i thought this is, you know, this, this is the kind of fear that you had, that the dynamism which characterizes his game, they, he's very much somebody who acts when he sees danger, he acts. He's not somebody who, who waits and will have uh, the, the last second tackle. No, he loves intercepting the ball. He loves going forward to, to, to battle for the ball. And he's doing that with as much energy as he was doing before his injury. Yeah, it is and amazing. That is, that is that is astonishing. and And in a team that doesn't have many natural leaders, shall we say, he is emerging as one of them uh, at at the end of this season, exactly at the moment when it's when it matters, and and which is you know absolutely crucial. And I'm I'm very surprised, but I also know that I I, I chatted with him um, quickly uh, when he came back. First of all, that there is a sense that he's been given um, uh, what he he has to enjoy what has been given. That yeah. is a bit of a miracle. He is fully aware of that. And there was so much hunger and I think that he realized how much he was missing playing football. And what you're seeing at the moment is a player who suddenly uh, I'm giving my I'm being given another chance and I'm going to make the absolute most of it. Mm. Uh, and, and and it's you know, it translates into suddenly why is it that Bernd Leno is suddenly looking like a, a very good keeper? Well, maybe it has to do with the fact that he's got a bloody good central defender in front of him.
1: Well, you know, you look at some of the interventions that Kashelny has made and um, the way that he is defending now, at what what age is he? He's 33, I think, isn't he? Um, and just, just to sort of uh, reference your point about coming back, um, I know he's a couple of years older, but Jonathan Walters, the Republic of Ireland forward, mm-hmm. has retired. Uh, recently because of Achilles' problems and an inability to get over, uh, you know, properly get over an Achilles tendon rupture, and Koscielny is back, I think defending like a 25-year-old, a 26-year-old, the way he is throwing himself at the ball, the way he's making blocks, the way um, perhaps his experience is allowing him to read the game, to get in those kind of positions, you know, I think it sets an example. To all the Indeed. other players around him, and maybe you know, I think Leno deserves credit on his own merits for making saves. Um, uh, and some of the saves that he's made in in recent weeks have been absolutely fantastic. But I think you can look perhaps to the left of Lauren Koscielny and see a defender who has also improved, and that's say Kalasinac in that. We all can see what he brings to this team in the offensive third. He's a, a brilliant crosser of the ball. He loves to get forward. But defending hasn't always been his strongest suit. And I think in him, perhaps it's the example of Koscielny rubbing off on him, we're seeing him sort of play a bit like Koscielny in terms of what he's putting on the line to make the challenges and the tackles and the blocks that you need to make.
2: Yes. Um, did he always have this probably... Uh, i'm, I'm a, I was always a little bit um you know, remember when Coleschi uh came to to the club from from Schalke and at the beginning, and we were all oh, wondering what on earth is this? <laughs> this is fantastic <laughs> and and then he had his ups and downs, but uh he is yes emerging as you know not just a crowd favorite but somebody who is Finding as well the, the, the physical resources at, at the right time of the season. And he's not the only one. There are quite a few players like this actually at the moment. The way Maitland Niles has also, you know, imposed himself. Yeah. And uh, I, I have to say, the more I'm talking to you, uh, the more the uh, apprehension I was feeling, looking at at the schedule, <laughs> is dissipating like a a morning mist as as the sun goes up in the sky, and 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 this is wonderful. Carry okay. on, please. Uh, and I'm thinking in terms as long as, of course, all the injury fears um, are are you know are misplaced. I hope uh, because. There are some doubts about some players. It's a bit too early to say now because we're waiting for for Emery, of course, to give us the latest news in his in his presser yeah. uh, about what's going to happen against Newcastle. But there were doubts about a few, a few players. Uh, Aaron Ramsey, for example, you know, was you know, he could, he could be back. Um, there also, I mean. Kolesinac himself and Socrates, if I'm not mistaken, there were little doubts. Um, Socrates didn't play against Liechtenstein. Uh, Kolesinac didn't play uh, against uh, Armenia, which is great. Yeah which is fantastic. It is. <laughs> but does that mean that they will not be quite at the top of their you know, their game or that it was simply a case of the Interlal being taken as the Interlal? I don't know. We'll know on Monday night, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, well, we might know a bit before that, but I think you're right. There are players who, for various reasons, have not been in the team. Uh, Kolasinac missed a good chunk with injury. Koscielny, he missed a good chunk with injury. He only came back in November, December. So, you know, the fatigue issue that, that, that might be playing uh, plaguing players at this time of the season Ramsey I know he's got his, his thigh injury and maybe that's a consequence of playing a lot in the in the couple of weeks before he went away on on international duty but you know Messi another guy who hasn't been playing as much as uh, you
2: would mm-hmm. expect him to play you so You could even add, you could add natural Monreal to that
1: Yeah that's for sure. Yeah, you know, so maybe these legs will be will be useful. And certainly he is going to have to, to rotate. It is sort of noticeable or it was noticeable uh, in the weeks before this break that Emery was erring on the side of experience a bit when picking his team. You know, even if we were all surprised at the fact that he picked Lacazette, Aubameyang, Ramsey and Ozil uh, against Manchester United um, – there 's a logic to it in that you know there our most experienced players, probably our best players, coming into the business end of the season. Um, he may have to um, go with the youth a little bit. I know Torreira is uh, suspended domestically until the Watford yeah. game, but if we do have some problems with ramsey and and, and Xhaka, for example, there 'd be a big onus on on Matteo Genduzzi to come back into the team he didn 't have a particularly good night away at Wren. I'm not sure if it's a case that he was, perhaps believing the hype a little. Uh, he wasn't
2: the same player. Or a, a case as well coming from Lorient. Uh, perhaps you know the Lorient ran, There's a local rivalry that perhaps he was a little bit too hyped up for that game. It might be that he's, mm. you know, he's still a very yeah. young player. It might be he was not in the best mental conditions for for a game of that uh, of that kind. Perhaps as well, possible.
1: It is. And I, I just wanted to ask you about what's the what's the perception of what he's done this season, given in France, you know, given that yeah. he came from Lorient, from League 2, um, and has made a really significant move to Arsenal, and probably
2: played more than he or anyone else
1: expected. Um, what
2: is this thing, by the way, about the players we, we pick from League 2, uh, or, or who have just been, play, who have played in League 2 and made themselves uh, a name in League 2? Yeah, no, Koscieli is another one. Giroud? Absolutely, Giroud was another Um, one, even though, you know, he succeeded with Montpellier before coming to Arsenal. But he still was very much somebody who had just, he was a, a fresher. Uh, from from league two, yes. as it were, you know. So obviously, we're doing some things right. No, I think many people are um, um, seduced uh, almost by what they've seen from Matteo He's He's been very highly thought of even when he was at Lorient It was not as if he was a complete unknown. Not at all. People knew about him, but they are quite—they uh, are very surprised, to say the least—by first of all how much he's played. Nobody was expecting him to have that much playing time at Arsenal in his first season. Nobody. Mm. Um, I, I, he's still quite far, I think, from claiming a place in Didier Deschamps' team. Um, I don't think you would expect him to challenge for Angolo uh, Kante's or or Blaise Matuidi's place in the starting eleven of France. No, but people have been um, very positively surprised about him and, and are saying very good things indeed uh, about his, his progression. And he's People were expecting him to do something of his career, but he's in advance, basically. Okay. Uh, and uh, yes, he's, he's, only, he's only 20 years old. It's, it's quite ridiculous. So um, he's one of the people that uh, the French have been looking at. On one hand to say, look at Arsenal, they have to play a guy who comes from Ligue 2 on one hand mm. because they haven't got the means to compete with the others with the bigger names. And on the other saying, oh, hold on a minute. They're not doing too badly, are they? And they're not doing too badly with somebody like Matteo Ganduzzi. What's going on? So people might have start thinking in France as well about Unai Emery as well, who left with this image, certainly with the PSG uh, uh, supporters of being a kind of loser. You know, mm. you wouldn't believe the things that you hear about Unai Emery in France. You wouldn't believe them, honestly. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's unforgivable almost. And uh, yeah, well, while, we did you know, speak
1: to the, uh, to the author of his... Um, uh his book uh Romain, f- Romain Molina. yes exactly and he was on and saying that because emery was maybe a little bit distant with sections of the press they didn't really take to him particularly well correct mm.
2: i mean i can't say that communication is his forte <laughs> i wouldn't say that no no that's fair point <laughs> But in any case, you know, uh, it's, yeah. thank you very much. i have rekindled my, my belief because, you know, when you look at it, even if the schedule is, is a very tough one, uh, and obviously, I mean, one, one of the big things, how are we going to manage the Europa League and, and the league at the same time when now we've got, we're no longer in a, in a situation where we think we've really got to go full tilt for the Europa League because it's our only chance to finish in the top four. This is no longer the case. We're now on the heels of Tottenham. Uh, we don't know how they will have gone through their own um, interlal. Uh, their results as a club have been very poor mm. uh, of late. And then suddenly we're in a situation we're really on their, on their heels. And we have a good chance actually to go above them, given their schedule and our schedule. I'm just wondering how we're going to be able to manage on both fronts uh, yeah. with... A squad that is not uh, the, the deepest, uh, shall we say, of, of of the top six.
1: No. I mean, there are going to be... St-
2: that is a concern. Yeah. Um, but, but again, as you said, we've seen Emery make some interesting choices. We've seen him rotating. We've seen him also being very adaptable, uh, tactically speaking. Uh, changing his formation, playing with four attacking players, playing with two, playing with two uh, people, up two two players, uh, two strikers up front, a single one, uh, playing with a three, playing with a four, being able to shuffle the cards and the players, and more interestingly, responding to it very well indeed, which shows, I mean, that's one of the areas where I think the club has progressed an awful, the team has progressed an awful lot within uh, in a single season, is how the players have become far more flexible tactically than they were under Wenger.
1: Yeah. I think that's true and just um, before I mean I, I, I share some concerns there particularly defensively we talk about Kushalny. there's no way he can play eight games in in the month of April no. so we're going to have to rotate a little bit in that regard and, and and mix things up at the back and of course the thing is he's, he's so important because he is basically our best defender um, it'll be very interesting to see where Emery prioritizes the use of Lauren Kushalny because that might tell us where his priority lies in terms of yeah. what he feels is is the best path for for the Champions League. Just before I let you go, one final question about a player who maybe doesn't get quite the limelight uh, that his strike partner does. His strike partner is Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. But mm. Alex Lacazette this season feels to me like a player who's really grown and settled at Arsenal. He, f- he looks like he feels happy. He looks like he has taken responsibility uh, in terms of the way that he plays the game. I know he had that that sending off, and that was a bit silly and, and what have you. But, Absolutely. you know, anyone can have a moment or two of silliness. Um, you know, if you repeat those mistakes, then that's a, that's a different thing, and that was very much a once-off for him. But he's a guy, another guy, if you want to talk about somebody who leads by example, uh, the work rate, the the willingness oh. to... To do a job for the team, whether it's up front or getting back and and you know being the first line of defence, if you will, I I think he's had a, a really excellent season. Lacazette. Like I, I know strikers are often judged solely by the amount of goals that they score, but I think his contribution this season goes beyond that.
2: It does. I mean, his goal-scoring record is uh, is still pretty damn good. I mean, mm. it's 14 goals in 38 games, and more importantly, if you look at the amount of playing time he's had, rather than to think of the, the games that perhaps he might have been um, a sub, as he was, for example, at the beginning of the campaign in the Europa League, uh, as he was as well in some games uh, uh, in, in the Premier League, before becoming now a, a regular starter. I mean, actually starting almost every single game. In fact, he, he started every single game in the Premier League for Well, for quite a quite a while, for several months now, uh, since the game against Liverpool, Mm. in fact, in December, so that tells you something about it. And he was, uh, yes, his attitude is is remarkable. And I must say that, in a way, there also he surprised me because I was not expecting this necessarily from him, having you know followed him when he was at Lyon, where you know you knew his qualities. I mean, one of his main qualities, even though he's not the quickest, he's not the quickest. Mm. Movement is one of his great qualities. And the thing is that he needs people who are on the same wavelength, who are quick in their brain to uh, see his movement and are able to give him the ball in the situations where he can create danger in in, in the box. And this was not always the case, by the way, uh, with Arsenal. And I'm wondering if also it's a question, people talk about how a player adapts, to a league and so forth, there is also the question how teammates adapt to a new player, yeah. and realize that he's a different kind of striker. That is a kind of striker which he will do those short runs and so forth, and then is also a wonderful first line of defense. I, at the moment, um, I would say, if you were to choose uh, between, like I said, and Obama Young as a single striker in a game, who would you go for? Uh, it would depend on the opposition, I have to say. It would depend on the opposition, precisely. And even to ask to to do, uh, to do respond like that shows how far we've gone from the moment when, remember, Obama Young was signed from Borussia Dortmund and everybody thought, this is the end of Lacazette as an Arsenal striker. Mm. So we've moved a long way. And the reason we've moved a long way for, since then is because of Lacazette's, like uh, the, perf- the quality of his performances and indeed the fact that he's completely taken upon him this this idea of, of battling uh, for, for the club and for the team uh, in areas of the pitch – where normally people might not necessarily do so, and he's doing it with a uh, selflessness, yeah, which is quite remarkable. Because it's costing him, you know, this kind of selflessness costs strikers. Because when you repeat sprints like this, just to intercept a ball, just to harry a defender, this is energy that you're not going to have in the last twenty minutes of the game. When suddenly you might have a path to goal, which is opening to you, and you might feel you might pay the price for the energy that you've spent on other things, on the on on the selfless things you've, yeah. done, you've done before it takes I, I think um, a, a special kind of player to do that not all players do it not all strikers do that and he's he's doing it now game in game out and I personally at the moment think I, I would personally put like I said ahead of a in most cases um, in, in most configurations except perhaps when we know we're going to pin be pinned back and we're going to have to to launch the ball long and to rely on somebody who is incredibly pacey. Mm. Otherwise, I would say, like I said, perhaps offers more guarantees at the moment. Oh. Seems, in, in in any case, to finish a season uh, in in a very good state of mind. Again, why he's been ignored by the Deschamps is another question, which is um, interesting. I know we've got plenty of strikers, but. Sure.
1: Well, look, well, you know, it's, it's, not- it's to our benefit, you know. That he, exactly.
2: Um, so there you go.
1: Yeah, he is. And I think, you know, the relationship and the friendship um, with Aubameyang is, is clearly a, a factor in here as well. But I have a feeling he is, you know, you're right. The selflessness does cost him goals because quite often he's using the ball in positions from which he, he can't score uh, or he's looking to, you know, to feed somebody else or to feed Aubameyang. So I, I think it's, uh, he deserves huge credit. And I have a feeling he's going to score a couple of very important goals um, between now and the end of the season. He's got an eye for a big game and a big goal, so we'll keep fingers crossed there. Philippe, I'm glad to make you feel a little bit better about what's coming in April. Um, yeah, sorry, kind of you. Yeah, no, I, it's, you know, it's, appreciated. No problem. Hopefully uh, you're not going to uh, come after me with a big stick at the end of April uh, <laughs> for getting your hopes up. <laughs> but maybe we'll talk <laughs> then and we can see how it goes. Thanks, Philippe. Thank you. You can follow Philippe on Twitter at Philippe Au Claire, at Philippe Auclair. And if you want to hear a bit more of him and you're not an Arseblog member on Patreon, sign up because episode two of a series of podcasts we call The Players is going to be available very soon for Patreon members. Uh, it's about Robert Pires, myself and Philippe, chatting about Robert Pires for a good hour, enjoying the happy memories and all the great things that Robert Pires did for Arsenal. We look back at his entire career, you know, from start to finish and and beyond, and it's a great conversation. Uh, the first episode of that series was Dennis Bergkamp, by the way, so uh, Robert Pires is going to be number two. It will be published over the weekend uh, on our Patreon uh, site, so if you want to join up, you can by going to patreon.com forward slash Arsenal. Arsblog, patreon.com forward slash arsblog. It costs a fiver a month, and you get instant access to all the podcasts and all the articles we have there, and you become part of a great community and you help support everything else that we do here on Arsblog. So to get all of that and all the stuff that's going to come in the future, fiver a month, patreon.com forward slash arsblog. you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host.
0: A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend.
1: right arsenal have got eight premier league games left this season top four and champions league football is in our hands but five of those eight games are away from home what does that tell us about our potential chances of of making the top four well who better to ask than tim from 7am kickoff tim welcome to the show hello thank you for having me now because i've asked you of course because we know that statistics tell you everything about football, and you can make absolute uh, ironclad predictions about what's going to happen based on numbers alone. I think it's fair that we just make that point before we get into this. But looking at the fixtures that we've got left and the fact that we are away from home more than we're at home... What are your thoughts uh, based on what you've seen from Arsenal so far this season? And what do the numbers tell us about about what these games might bring?
0: One of the things that I like to do is take a look at the teams that we've already played and compare them to the teams that we played last season so Mm. that we're getting a really closer like-for-like comparison, or at least... It it seems like that in my mind. Um, There are a few little things that we have to to move around. Like, for example, uh, Wolves were not in the league last season. So we compared them. I used, I, I compared them to West Brom. Maybe that's not fair, but the other two teams were Swansea and Cardiff and Stoke. So, so anyway, I compared those teams, you know, Stoke is closer to Cardiff because of the way they play, and maybe Fulham might be closer to Swansea because of the way they play. Wolves and West Brom, maybe not such a great comparison, but what else am I supposed to do? Yeah. You don't have any option. Right. Exactly. So we take a look at those and compare those two teams and take a look at, uh, compare those two seasons and take a look at how we performed against those teams last season and how we're performing against those teams this season. And of course, as you already know, we have 19 points this season. And last season we had 16 points. Away from home. Yeah. Yeah, so we're three better. <laughs> okay, that's a, um, that's
1: a good start in terms of improvement. What what What's the, sort of the underlying metric to this improvement? I mean, it's not a massive improvement, but it is still an
0: improvement. Yeah, the first thing is that we're converting shots better last season. I mean, this season over last season. So last season, we converted at about 7%. So of all of our shots, if we took 100 shots, we would get seven goals. And okay. this season, we're converting 16%. And what's the, what's the average about 10. Right. Okay. (laughs) So, so that's a, there's a bit of a twofold thing there. One is that we took a lot more shots last season than we did this season. So of course our conversion rate is going to be lower and um, we're taking fewer shots this season. And so if we're converting, it's kind of a chicken and egg kind of thing. If you score, you don't need to keep taking a lot more shots. So, because we weren't scoring very well last season, we were taking a lot more shots, and now because we are scoring more, you know, earlier in the games and better, we are taking fewer shots. So, we're con- our conversion rate goes up because of that. Does that all? Does that all make sense? Yeah, that absolutely makes
1: sense. Yeah, you're not you're not chasing goals, uh, you know, throughout the games when you're away, and that was certainly a big problem last season when when we were finding it very difficult to uh to score i mean in terms of creating chances what's the what's the comparison between this season and last season Are the chances we're creating better or you know based on um based on what we've seen
0: Yep, yep exactly and so um because we were chasing games a lot we were taking a lot of what i would call you know pot shots from outside the box so We took 117 shots from outside the box in away games. Again, we're just talking about away games and only scored one goal last season. So that was, that was just an indicator. And that also of course shows why we were only scoring 7% of our overall shots. Mm. Um, And, and this season conversely, and we talked about this earlier in the year about how it looked like Emery was letting his player shoot from outside. Whereas Wenger kind of had a little bit of a, Maybe a prohibition against that, yeah, yeah, <laughs> um even though they took them, they took the shots anyway but uh but but this season, because of a little bit more i don 't know whether it's encouragement or not, but we are scoring more goals from outside the eighteen yard box, and they have six goals from outside of the eighteen yard box in away games this season, wow, yeah, so our finishing rate from outside the box is eleven percent, so even if everything else is. And that's really high. <laughs> yeah. Even if everything else is relatively the same, the same number of shots inside the box, same number of shots in big chances and all these other things, which they are the fact that we've scored these goals from outside the 18 yard box have actually significantly improved our form, our finishing and our uh, points on the table. So you can think about the matches that we played last year where we lost <laughs> and this year where we actually won and we won because of those goals outside the 18-yard box. Right. So there has been definitely an improvement from
1: an attacking point of view in terms of the the number of chances, the quality of the chances, our conversion rate, and people, you know, have, have talked throughout this season about, you know, how eventually you revert to the mean when it comes to uh, outperforming your XG, and and that was certainly the case, yep. uh, in particular with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who we're going to talk about in a couple of moments' time, but you know, there's two parts, obviously, well, more than two parts, but Another significant factor in this is what we're doing defensively on the road. So, what's
0: going on there compared to what happened last year? Well, first of all, we only have lo- we've only lost five times, so that's a, that's a that's a huge that's a huge deal. That that last year we had nine losses in away games. Mm. Um, uh, but the problem from my perspective, so as this, if I were looking at this from outside and not as an Arsenal supporter, I would get a little bit antsy that we allow so many shots just in just generally you know there's lots of different ways to control teams and lots of different ways to stop teams from from taking shots and we're not seeming to be able to do that one of them is of course possession and our possession you know in away games is not nearly as good as it could be so we actually tend to sit back a little bit and allow teams to come onto us once we take the lead Rather than sort of controlling the game from midfield and from you know from a possession standpoint, so we're al- allowing a lot of shots, and that makes a stats guy like me very nervous mm-hmm. or even worried. <laughs> yeah. Um. But the key thing is, is that we are not allowing more big chances. So the big chances are those shots where the uh, players are one-on-one with the goalkeeper. Um, or even wide open goal, or one-on-one with a defender, or in a really great position where you think he's going to score. Yeah, We are not allowing all, uh, more of those chances this year than last year. So even if we're allowing more shots, the big chances stay the same. And the reason why those are so important is because they're almost like a 50-50 chance. If you think about every time you've seen a player go one-on-one with a goalkeeper, I bet you if you play it back in your mind, you'll remember that they're, they're probably about 50-50 chance. They're a little bit less than that, actually. But, um, but I like to think of it that like a, like a coin flip. And so we're, if we're allowing the same number of those and we're allowing the opposition to have a few more shots from outside the box, like I've already said, those have converted at like a really low rate, 2%, 3%, then that's fine. And that's what's happening. So basically the opposition are, are converting it at the exact same rate. And so in terms of expected goals, which is just a metric of how we measure shot quality, they may be taking more shots. But the expected goals are exactly the same of about one point five per game per season against. Well, so in other words, yeah. that's really bad though. You don't want you don't want to be conceding one and a half you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, expected yeah. Expected yeah. goals per game. <laughs> I mean look, I think I think we
1: have been um, this season somewhat fortunate that some of the finishing from the opposition has not been as uh, as good as you would expect at Premier League level. You know, there have been big chances, even during our unbeaten run. I remember talking about how if, you know, at a particular moment in a game, an opposition player had been more calm or had uh, produced the finish that you would expect him to produce, those games might have taken a different trajectory. Um, and people can put it down to the quality of the players or, or what have you. But I think at this level, you know, when you present some of the chances we've given the opposition um during the season i'm I'm a bit surprised we haven't conceded more goals uh, away from home. I'm interested as well to know if what our goalkeeper is doing is making a difference uh, because Bern Leno has come in, he's taken over from Pettercheck, and generally, I think people have been increasingly impressed by the way that he's playing. So is he contributing to the fact that our away record is better in terms
0: of saves he's made? No. Right. Okay. Uh, Explain that. To me well, yeah. Yeah. So, um, Bern Leno, actually, overall, if you look at his whole record, this season is significantly better than Petr check was last season. And I don't think anybody would question that he's saved 54% of the big chances that he's faced. Um, whereas Leno, I mean, whereas check saved 34% last season and he's over 50% in, um, these really danger area shots, that that he's faced So he is significantly better than Petr Cech And as I went back through Cech's entire um, career You can see the sort of slow decline And uh, from 2015-2016 uh, Where he was really at his prime And unfortunately we didn't win the league that year mm. Then the next year it declined slightly And then 2017-2018 was his lowest ever Um, in terms of his goalkeeping stats and he was only saving 34% of the big chances he was facing. So that was, that's seems really bad, but it's actually kind of makes him an average goalkeeper. (laughs) Okay. Uh, so he went from really great to just average. So it was important to bring in a new goalkeeper and burnt Leno overall for the whole season has been fantastic. I mean, his overall numbers are great, but what's really odd is that his that's completely being, um, uplifted by his home numbers so at home and i'm just going to pull up the raw numbers here let's just talk about big chances at home this season burn leno has saved 19 big chances and only allowed four to be scored so he's 19 out of 25 saves 83 right he's eight yeah he saved 83 percent of the big chances he's faced that's astronomical that's unbelievably high right that's at home That's at home. And in in away games, it's the exact opposite. He saved three of 18. (laughs) So he's only saved 17% of those big chances that he's faced in away games. And what I think this indicates, along with all of the other things that we see with the the team um, and the way that we play in away games, where we're allowing so many chances, where we're allowing um, teams to have all of these uh, shots against us, is that I, I I believe that this is actually indicates a mental thing because clearly, physically, he has the capability to be an outstanding goalkeeper.
1: Mm. It's but weird, isn't it? Because yeah, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have like looked at him away from home and thought there'd be that much of a uh, a disparity between the saves at home and the saves. Away from home, I can remember one or two where I thought, "Oh, maybe he should have done a little bit better with that," but not to that extent. And and
0: fair enough, there is a, I mean, there are criticisms of the big chance uh, metric. Whether or not you know, some some people disagree with what is a big chance, and of course, that is going to be the debate over this. Um, but it's it's a in general, all of his saves in 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 a um in, in away games are way lower. So again, if I take a look at just shots in a specific area in that danger area, he's only saving 34% of those in away games and in home games, he is saving 82%. Wow. (laughs) So, so it's, they mimic each other and that's taking out this whole idea of that's just shots in an area that's taking out the idea of whether they are a quote unquote, big chance or not and that's why i like that metric even though it's kind of looked at a little bit less whatever Close. as as big chances big chances tend to be sure. the, the one of the bigger metrics and so my my idea of just looking at shots in that area around the 18 yard box not around the 18 yard box but around the the penalty the penalty spot and in so up to the 6 yard box up to the goal he's saving 82% of those at home and just 35% away so again it it feels to me like we're not allowing better or you know, or worse, however you want to look at it, chances. Mm. But for whatever reason, there's a sort of a. It feels like there's some kind of mental block. There, yeah, like and, uh, phys- physically he's able to do it, but sure. who knows what's going on? Uh,
1: yeah, but I mean, I suppose when you do have a uh, what you might consider a big chance, or when a player is one on one with the goalkeeper, maybe the perception of of it when a goal goes in you don't naturally tend to think that the goalkeeper is at fault if he's left one-on-one or if he's left you know trying to deal with a striker at the back post who's free and can you know it's not really uh an indication of of the quality of the goalkeeper in a way you know even though you can point to the the difference in the stats at home to say okay at home he can make those saves you know I do wonder if there's um if there's something else we can Figure out as to w- what the problem might be there, whether it's defensively or whether I don't know. It's a weird one.
0: Typically, a- typically, what I look at for defensively is you know how many big chances are we conceding? Yeah, and um, and that to me, so the gold standard for me was the 2015-2016 season, uh, when when Arsene Wenger played with Kokalan and um, and Kazorla in midfield. And the total season, we only conceded 25 big chances. So the opposition only had 25 of those one-on-ones. That's how you lock down the defense. Like, from midfield, you just lock down the defense. At home this season, we've already conceded 33 big chances to the opposition. In a way, we've conceded 23 big chances. And now those are, so 1.6 per game is what we're conceding, 1.64 per game. And actually, we concede more at home, two per game, two big chances per game at home. I I wonder
1: if that's because we're a team that likes to play on the... At home, you're going to push forward a bit more, and we're not great at defending the counter attacks. Uh, It's certainly been an area of vulnerability. Uh, And I do think defensively, it's one of those things that um, it is something for Unai Emery to sort out. But just very, very quickly before we move on to Aubameyang, When we look at those underlying statistics going into these final eight games of the season, and we've got to play uh, Everton, which is going to be a tough game. Watford, we lost there last season. Wolves, of course, we didn't play. Leicester, uh, we lost there last season. In some mitigation, we were down to 10 men very early on, if I remember. It was... um, Mavropanos, yep. who, got, who got sent off. And Burnley away. I can't remember what we did in that particular game, but it was probably something which really annoyed we Burnley. Won. Uh, we won. But wasn't it a, maybe a really late penalty? Or, yeah, the Koscielny handball goal was a season before that. But I have in my mind that it was one of those games, like in injury time, where, where they went mental. Uh, which would, I'd be quite happy to see again. But, you know, it just shows you that it's a, it's, a tough, it's a tough fixture to play when you go to Burnley. I know they're not doing as well this season, but it is going to be a tough one. And those games are, are really going to test us from uh, from a defensive point of view.
0: Absolutely. So last season, we as you pointed out, we took seven points from those five games, so from Everton, Watford, Wolves, Leicester, and Burnley. Uh, well, and I'm saying West Brom is... Is wolves okay? Yeah. Um, so, but actually, if we do that exact same thing again, the same seven points, um, however we want to slice it up—one win and 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 four draws, whatever—it doesn't matter as long as we get those same seven points. I think we can actually still finish top four because I know, right? It's going to be close no matter what. I unless we really start turning on the Jets and blowing blowing people away in away games, mm. I don't see us. I see this is going to be a very close race, but 76 points or 75 points. So if I'm looking at some of the other websites that predict these sort of things, uh, 538 um, is a website that does these kinds of predictions. And they're thinking around 75 points should take third to fourth place. So if we get seven points there and we win our final two home games, which is what our form would indicate that we would do. I think we can finish in the top four (laughs) and it would be wonderful to beat Burnley on the last day of the season and hopefully with some dodgy handball penalty. Yeah. So that, so that, so the uh, Sean so mis- a- <laughs> this little temper tantrum.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, look, I I have a feeling, um, you know, I know you're looking at this from a statistical point of view. Uh, and of course, you know, the best statistics come from our guts. Uh, and my guts are telling me we might need a bit more than seven points from the five away games uh, to do that. But one man who might well be uh, key to how we perform in these uh, games is Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, our leading scorer. I think he scored 22 goals this season. He's a, a really good goal scorer, but he's also a really good goal chance misser. I don't know if we have any statistics <laughs> for that, but you know, as as much as the goals stick out in your mind, some of the chances he's missed this season really stick in your mind. And you, you go back to our last game against Wren, which of course feels like it happened months ago at this point, And he'd scored twice and had two incredible chances to, to get a hat-trick and to absolutely seal the game and, and miss them. Um, and I've heard people talk about this before, that, you know... It's not necessarily that he's a world-class, brilliant finisher, but what he is brilliant at is getting into a position where he has chances to, to score goals. His profligacy has been something that's been with him throughout his career. Where is, where is what's happening to him this season? Uh, what's happening to him? 22-goal, leading score. He's on track to score maybe 30 goals this season. So, you know, it's, it's a confusing thing to talk about, but in terms of how that has been with him throughout his career, what, what's this season looking like? So that's a great question.
0: (laughs) So the, uh, the funny thing is, is I I've, I've been following him for years and I don't know why I just decided to start following him, but um, it might've been because I was watching a Bundesliga game and I, I saw him make several of those kinds of misses. I've seen him do this, that exact thing you're talking about against Ren, where he will get himself into this astonishingly good position and then hit the post. And he already has two big chance big chances this season in the premier league where he's hit the post, Mm. which is more than I think, I think it's more than almost any other striker. So yes, first off he gets himself into those, into those positions. And that is absolutely crucial to being a, being a top striker Um, comparing him to other strikers in the league, like uh, Mane, Aguero, Kane, Salah, Sterling, all these other folks who have around the same percent, Uh, the same number of goals total. The thing is, is that he has missed more big chances than any of them. And his finishing is at the lowest of his career so far in terms of big chance conversion. So just in terms of those big moments where he's scoring, where he, where you expect him to score that goal, he's only finishing 28%. So he's seven out of 25. And that's well below average average is 44% um, or 45%. Let's just say 45%. So um, he's at 28% now. And to compare, you know, to give you an example, uh, Aguero, this season's been playing very well and he's scored 52%. Uh, Mane is actually the highest right now. He scored 63% of those, but what's weird. And and if you go back over um, Obama Yang's career, it's kind of almost been a steady decline. So where he was really fantastic at finishing these chances before 48% in 2014, 15, 52% in 2015, 16, 48% in 2016, 17, 38% last season, 28% this season. So it Mm. could be indicative of, I mean, he is getting older. It could be indicative of him starting to, to fade a little bit, but what's fantastic is that, He is leading all of those strikers I spoke about before in quote-unquote small chances scored. So that was my dog, by the way. That's okay.
1: We love dogs on (laughs) this. (laughs) We love dogs on this podcast. Once they're not too close to the microphone, they scare the shit out of me. That's okay.
0: (laughs) Um, In terms of small chances scored, all of those other strikers I listed, Mane, Aguero, Kane, Salah, and Sterling, all have either four or five small chances scored. So that's a funny way of, of putting non-penalties. Okay. So let's take the penalties out and then let's just look at those chances that are like right up against the goal mouth. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so they're all scoring at a regular rate. Yang has seven of those. So he scored seven out of 39 shot, uh, seven out of uh, 46 shots. And so his small chance conversion is 15%. <laughs> so when we say, you know, like, And that's unusual for him. Normally, in these other seasons I talked about, for example, in the 2016-2017 season, he scored 48% of his big chances, 23 out of 48. And he didn't score hardly any little chances, like one or two in the whole season. And as you know, we've talked about this before, he doesn't score goals from outside the box normally. But he has scored a few this season, hasn't he? He has, exactly. And that's what's... So that's kind of what's going on here with him is he, he is scoring from different positions and he is way better at scoring those smaller chances than he is at scoring the big chances this season, which if you want to be sanguine about it, I don't really care how he gets 30 goals. I don't care if he elbows them in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, if, if they count his goals, then that's, that's fine by me. Uh, but it isn't, it does. What I'm trying to say here is that it does, um, Sort of give some evidence to the people's feelings, like, well, why, why is he missing these big chances, and yet, why is he still got seventeen goals? You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I mean so, that is that is certainly uh, a consideration, and maybe you know uh, we're talking about a potential decline when you, you know, you hammer out the percentage of big chances finished there, forty eight percent, thirty eight percent, now at twenty eight percent. That's a ten, uh, you know, ten percent each year. Well, you know. Um, 10% off the, the 100% rather than uh, the, the actual decline being 10% itself. I can't work those maths out. But, you know, there is still uh, eight games left in the Premier League this season for him to, to come back somewhere closer to the mean, if you like. So if he does Absolutely. start converting those big chances, then there is a greater chance of Arsenal finishing in the top four.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, that's what we need we need him to finish those chances. Uh, he obviously is fantastic at getting himself into those positions. And, um, you know, and again, as we've said all along, these things can, these things will, uh, these things can even out pretty quickly because we are talking about small numbers, Mm. you know, seven out of 25, you're going to get comments. Well, that's, that's a small sample size and that's a fair enough. That's fair enough. Yeah. That is a small sample size. It is but you like' get tw- all kinds of statistical variation there
1: exactly but t- you know 12 or 13 out of 35 you know it, it starts looking a, a little bit better doesn't it so
0: absolutely okay well so let's hope he gets some
1: yeah exactly <laughs> let's keep fingers crossed for that because I do I do think we're going to need to be pretty clinical uh, particularly in those away games uh, Tim as ever thanks a million if you don't read Tim's blog it's at 7 a.m. kickoff.com great stuff uh, and thank you for being here Thanks Andrew. Thank you very much indeed to Tim. He's on Twitter at 7 a.m. kickoff at 7 a.m. kickoff, and as I said, the blog itself is 7 a.m. kickoff dot com. Really interesting numbers about Pierre Emerick Aubameyang there. I have a feeling. I know I said this to Philippe as well about Lacazette and him scoring some goals, but I've got a feeling about our two strikers in this run-in. I think it's a good feeling. I don't want to say too much, but I feel like a lot of our hopes in achieving what we want to achieve, rest on them. We we focus a lot on our defense, and, and that's understandable. The amount of chances we concede, the amount of goals we've conceded this season has not really been good enough, and that's certainly an area for improvement. But I absolutely feel that if we are going to get over the line into fourth place or, or third place or into the Champions League, even via the Europa League, these two guys are basically what it hinges on because I don't necessarily see a massive improvement in our defence between now and the end of the season. I think there's a lot of work to do in the summer and next season to make us defensively better. But if we can score the goals, then we can really cause uh, all the opposition we're going to face between now and the end of the season some real trouble. So uh, let's keep uh, let's keep fingers crossed. Uh, if you want another podcast to listen to, there is a, a podcast, myself and Tim Stillman did it, uh, about the Arsenal women. Tim talks to the Guardians football correspondent Susie Rack a lot of really interesting stuff about the Arsenal women and they are, well, not on the verge of winning the title, but it's in their own hands. If they can get the right results, they're going to be champions and that's something that we should be proud of because Arsenal, as a football club, goes beyond the first team. It goes beyond the men. You know, uh, I wrote about this a little bit in the week on the blog uh, after the the great piece that Amy wrote in The Guardian about how they're integrating the training for some of the young girls who are are part of the are part of the club, they're training with the boys to make their development better and Per Mertesacker spoke very well I think he said you know it started off by thinking of our club and what we stand for how can we integrate everyone a bit better and I love the way that Per Mertesacker thinks and I love the way that he talks and and the way that he perceives Arsenal as a club and what it should be and what it should stand for Uh, and I've kind of lost my train of thought here so I think I might just I might just leave it there oh yeah listen to the Arsenal women's podcast it's on the Arscast feed download listen if you don't like it, you don't have to listen to another one, but give it a try, you never know. And, uh, you know, let's be proud of the fact that our women's team are are so good and so successful and fingers crossed they can go all the way to the title this season. James and I will be here on Tuesday and there's no point doing an Arscast Extra on Monday, seeing as we're playing on Monday night. Fingers crossed uh, for the game. Hopefully we're talking about a good win, a good return to action, batteries recharged, Arsenal doing the business and uh, keeping up that fight for the top four. So join us on Tuesday in the meantime, have yourselves a great weekend. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye.
0: Following the incredible success of the Henrik
1: Mkhitaryan doll... Krapola Toys is delighted to announce the launch of the new Andrei Arshavin doll. He's a miniature version of your favorite pint-sized Russian forward. He walks, he talks, he sings with all your favorite Arshavin sayings. Hello, I am Arshavin. Shut up, eh boy! I'm hungry. Please can I have a biscuit? I'm still hungry... Need more biscuit. My hunger is not yet satisfied. I am going to eat all the biscuits. Joey, have you ever been in a Turkish prison? When the apocalypse comes, I will have no compunction in devouring your body should I need the sustenance. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and just like Mkhitaryan, he can sing like creepy
0: death children.
1: <laughs> whoa whoa la la Archevin, la la la, la la he Russian beauty queen. Eat all the biscuits and then he go pfft. Order yours today for just $19.99 plus $279.99 shipping. But be quick, stocks are limited and demand is high. Just like the makers of this toy. What the fuck are they thinking?